And so I think that even sometimes that permission of saying, if this doesn't work right now, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And if the ways that you used to connect with God have disappeared, that doesn't mean you don't get to connect with God anymore. Mm-hmm. It just means that maybe there's a different path for you right now. And I think that prayer for me has been one of those ones of losing and reclaiming and reimagining and um, expanding. I think a lot of times when we come to that place of saying, well, this, this particular way of praying or encountering God, um, it, I, you know, it has baggage. Sometimes it even has trauma yeah, yeah. for a lot of people. Right, and I yeah. think that that informs that conversation. I mean, if you've been in a couple exorcisms, you probably need to go see a therapist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can feel searching for a deal on my last meal crack the seal so much i can take gotta take a meal constant battle got so many wounds hope they start to heal it's getting real it's getting real yeah seems like i'm a crab in the bucket it'll take a while before i catch one buffer uh, feeling like i'm living robotic once i get the chance i'm a living iconic Always catch me on my high, ain't gon' never see me low. High above the cloudy skies, yeah, I'm focused on this growth. Nothing up to involve, ain't gon' never see me fall. Oh, my brother, get us soon, and this world is getting cold. Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back to the What If Project Podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 117. And uh, we're taking a break from our series. Right now, we're in the middle of a series called To Hell With Hell, where we're questioning asking questions uh, about the doctrine of hell, poking some holes in it, pulling some different things apart, drilling down into it a little bit, uh, and asking lots and lots of questions. We've talked to N.T. Wright, Brian McLaren, uh, Jennifer Mayo. We have another, let's see, eight, seven, six, five more episodes to go in the series. And uh, we're hitting pause today because we're going to be talking to Sarah Bessie. And uh, if you don't know who Sarah Bessie is, uh, your life is not as good as it could be. So you should head over to the Googles, type in her name. You'll see that she's a best-selling author and also one of the people that heads up the amazing conference called the Evolving Faith Conference. And uh, I don't know how to describe the Evolving Faith Conference. She's going to talk about it in the episode. Uh, and actually, it's happening uh, October 2nd and 3rd, which is a week from when this episode is dropping. And so I wanted to slide this episode in so you could go and sign up for it if you have the time and the ability to do so. Because this year, because of COVID, it's a virtual conference. So it's all going to take place online, right from the comfort of your home, uh, in your pajamas, with your coffee, whatever you want to do. And because it's also uh, being recorded, you will have uh, access to all of the videos for an extended period of time. So it's really, really good stuff. Uh, But what is the Evolving Faith Conference? She's going to talk about it in the episode, but I guess if I had to give my pitch for it, hmm, I would say that it's kind of like a watering hole in the midst of the desert or the wilderness. Uh, Sometimes when our faith is shifting, it's evolving, it's deconstructing, it can feel lonely, it can feel like nobody understands you. And the Evolving Faith Conference is kind of like that watering hole where everybody out in the desert comes together and you realize that this is not such a lonely place after all. So in the episode, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about deconstruction. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about so many wonderful things. So 
uh, buckle up and, and hold on tight. Uh, a couple things real quick. Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the show uh, financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, that is a place where you can go to give. Uh, there's different tiers of giving, anywhere from $3 a month up to $20 a month, and uh, every tier gets its own reward. Uh, Heretic Shop is a place where you can go to buy some t-shirts, some hoodies, some hats, blankets, jackets. Uh, there's a pillow in there. There's like all sorts of things in there. So you got to go check that out. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, we have a newsletter now. It's called the uh, What If Project After Party because it's a party that takes place after uh, that week's episode. It comes out Friday morning. And uh, basically, I kind of go back over the episode and I, I talk to you about some of the behind the scenes type stuff. Uh, how has this person's work influenced my faith journey? Uh, what was I thinking when I was talking to the person? Was I nervous? Uh, why did I ask the thing that I asked? Uh, what did what did I not ask that I wish I would ask? You know, playing Monday morning quarterback, like, dang it, I wish I would have said that to the person. Uh, so just a whole lot of behind the scenes stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, so you can go over to the show notes, click on the link, and you can sign up there. I think you'll get like a welcome email. And then I think you get access to like the archive, which it tells you where to go. And you can find the four or five that have already come out. And you can read back on on those. Uh, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. We work together at Apple. Uh, he is a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina. He just created some brand new music that is out. It's on Apple Music, Spotify, all the places. So go listen to it, download it, pass it around. Show him some What If Project love. Tell your friends, blast it from your speakers, uh, do all of the things. And next week, we'll pick up our series uh, again, To Hell With Hell. I'm going to be talking to uh, Matthew Cortman. He came on uh, last year uh, for the Bible series, the Setting the Bible Free series, and talked about his book, uh, Saying No to God. And there's a chapter in that book about hell. I think it's called Saying No to Hell. And uh, so he's going to come on and talk to us all about that. And that is a, a wild episode. We had a really good time. Uh, so look forward to that. In the meantime, go back and listen to the other uh, one, two, three episodes to get yourself all caught up uh, after, of course, you listen to this one, uh, Sarah Bessie. So uh, anyway, all that to say, this is episode number 117. Uh, this is the What If Project podcast, and I'm super excited that you're here. Enjoy. The patience paid off, now it's go time. Go time. No worries all around me, I'ma get mine. Born in the Queen City, got the 4-9. Go to Green Trip, told me where the cosign. So people doubted me, that's close to me, that's their regret. When I make it, I'ma take it, all I do is rest. Remain grinding, self-care, that's when I'm at my best. A little crazy, that's when I'm at a test. Feeling tuned. Yeah, we riding. Yeah, we rolling. All the way to Friends, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're sitting down with one of my favorite voices, someone whose writings and wisdom have made a huge impact on my own spiritual journey, uh, Sarah Bessie. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. So before we jump too far into the discussion, uh, maybe take some time to tell us a little bit about your yourself or maybe listeners who aren't too familiar with you, a little bit about your story and your your work. And I should say, uh, feel free along the way to plug your upcoming book. Uh, I know you have the Evolving Faith Conference coming up, all things <laughs> that I think will hit home for our listeners. <laughs> plug That's away. very kind of you. Plug away. That's yes, it. That's great. 
Well, it's really nice to meet everyone if we haven't had our paths cross yet and to uh, to be here with you. So, um, well, I'm Sarah. Um, I live in uh, Western Canada in a uh, town that's just outside of Vancouver. Um, so if anyone is kind of trying to, you know, locate that, it's a bit north of, of Seattle. So I'm a writer. Um, got my start in uh, actually gosh, a lot of years ago now, but my first book was called Jesus Feminist. Mm. Um, sure, that didn't cause any kind of disruption. No big deal. No worries. Like in 2012, everybody was like, this is completely normal. And right. yeah. <laughs> so that was a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that book and still enjoy kind of shepherding some of those messages around um, mm. Jesus and women and um, mutuality in the church. Um, it's a big part of my work and especially uh, part of my origin story. Um, but after I wrote that book, it kind of um, gave way to my second book, which was called Out of Sorts, Making mm. Peace with an Evolving Faith, because it turned out that a lot of times when people were beginning to deconstruct some of those more patriarchal ideas about Jesus and church and women and marriage and community and those sorts of things, that it ended up being a large piece of a larger story around deconstruction. Yeah. And being in the wilderness. Mm. And so, and I think too, there's a realization that like, that's not a season in life that we shepherd super well mm -hmm. in the church. Yep. And so wanting to lean into some of those conversations around like, what does it look like when your faith begins to evolve? Mm. And so um, that book actually is what led to uh, a conference that I ended up starting with my dear friend, uh, Rachel Held Evans, mm. who um, passed away just last year, but her and I were um, colleagues and writers and friends together. And she had just come out with Searching for Sunday, which is an amazing book. Um, and then I'd come out with Out of Sorts. And the two of us kind of combined forces. And we were like, you know what, this is, maybe we're not as alone out here in the wilderness. Yeah, as we sure. yeah. Maybe there's a lot more of us who are asking these questions about, God and justice and politics and the moment in time that we are in. And so we kind of, you know, threw together this little, you know, get together in North Carolina and we're kind of like, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And mm. we were just overwhelmed. Just a the, little tiny thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like the response. But I remember like, I think we spent most of that first conference, like just looking at each other with equal parts, like delight and terror. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what we had woken up. And so since then, um, and even since losing Rachel, a big part of my work in my life has been leading that community mm. um, along with uh, Jeff Chu, who's joined our team and uh, our partner, Jim Chafee. And we just have this incredible community of people who are the doubters and the question askers and the ones who are wanting to reimagine what they're for and not just what they're against yeah. and to look for ways to cultivate i think hope and love while you're in the wilderness mm. and even your posture in the wilderness so yeah the whole thing about it has just been remarkable and uh, and just a really beautiful part of life and so mm. anyway all that to say um that's a big part of what i do now as well we have a podcast and gatherings and you know other things that kind of all fall in under that umbrella mm. and then my latest book came out just um in october and it's called miracles and other reasonable things mm. and it's one of my books that's actually more memoir driven um and kind of dives a little bit more into like my own story, the, own, the ways that I've had to unlearn and relearn God mm. um, over the last little while. And so, yeah, so that book came out last year as well. So I think that about covers all the things. Sums it up. Yeah. I think <laughs> you make a, I think you make a really powerful point about like there being no space for evolution in the church. And I never really thought about it in those words before, but I think 
you're right. Like I, I used to pastor a church and whenever there were questions, there were doubters, it was like, well, notify the elder board. We got to, we got to talk to that person. We got to yes. calm that person's doubts down. But now that like I'm out here in this space, like that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I felt so alone and I felt mm-hmm. like I didn't have a place to bring my questions. So I was like, well, if I can create a space where people feel free to ask questions, uh, maybe this can be kind of a reservoir out in the wilderness for people to find some rest and to be able to, to quench their thirst, so to speak. Absolutely. I think that that is a really underserved um, need in mm-hmm. our churches. Like oftentimes our churches are structured for certainty yeah. um, and for answers and they function yep. best, you know, if you have, they have that kind of, of way of being. And yet, and so oftentimes we almost um, other people who find themselves in that place of questioning or criticism or even in, in kind of some sort of like, well, wait a minute, this thing I've always been taught doesn't seem to be a hundred percent really where I am now. And there's almost not this sense of um, it's something to fear mm. or to control Yeah. instead of what I have found in my own life and in the lives of, you know, the communities of people who I've been able to, you know, come alongside of, I think it's almost always an invitation from the Holy spirit hmm. that it's actually a sign of your faithfulness and not a sign of your faithlessness, hmm. but oftentimes you're being invited into something and it's not that there's not a cost to that and that there's not a, you know, a, a reality to that. But instead of it being something to fear, I think it's something to be, I don't know, maybe to lean into. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the conversations you've been creating here. Yeah. Um, as giving people permission and room to lean in, to explore, uh, to be curious again, mm. instead of certain. I think that's a really interesting posture to have in these conversations. Yeah. I think for me, like when I, when I entered the deconstruction season and reconstruction, I feel like they go hand in hand at times, but I feel like for, I thought initially I thought like, oh, oh my goodness, I'm losing my faith. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But then as I started to like embrace those doubts, like I read Pete N's book, The Sin of Certainty. And once I started to get rid of that, I guess, loosen my grip on that certainty, I started to feel closer to God, I feel like, than I felt before. And I started to feel more comfortable in the discomfort, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense to me. And I think that that's even what good guides do for us is they give us permission to release kind of that death grip. And some, you know, I almost get like this picture in my head. Like, you know, when you're at the beach and you pick up like a handful of sand and the tighter you squeeze, the faster it it runs out of your hand. You lose the whole grip that you have what you had. Mm. Whereas if you open up your hands and just hold it, there's not this sense of like, panic and loss and so I think that sometimes in those moments it's like opening your hand up releasing your grip a little bit um, leaves room for I think God to meet you in that place yeah um, and be surprised by that so yeah Yeah. that's really beautiful thank you so evolving faith uh, tell me a little bit more about this conference because I'm actually going to put this episode uh, the week before evolving faith so people can actually go and sign up if they want to because like you said this this year it's virtual because of the pandemic and so maybe more of our listeners will be able to jump onto it. But like, what can people expect if they sign up for Evolving Faith? Yeah, you know, I'm really actually, it's been one of those things that I've been pleasantly surprised by in the move towards being um, virtual is how much it has opened things up to so many more people. Yeah. And I love that, and, mm. you know, just in terms of like people being able to, you know, our international friends, um, you know, people who are in a stage of life or, or in a, uh, you know, social location where things like going to conferences just can't happen. Right. Um, it's been really 
actually quite gratifying to see. Mm. This is that <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, so maybe this right? will work, right? <laughs> <laughs> a ton of work and worth it. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that the biggest, biggest thing with Evolving Faith, so it's on October 2nd and 3rd. And we just have this incredible team of teachers who always come alongside of our community. And oftentimes we kind of joke that it's like, you know, we hold on to them. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll come back, you know, year over year or they stay with our community and, um, you know, continue to kind of have a, a voice mm-hmm. um, within a lot of our folks. And so I think the biggest thing that we've found is that right now, maybe particularly at this moment in time, there's just a lot of grief and anger and exhaustion. Yeah. yeah. And the global pandemic is obviously part of that. But also there's the larger stories around you know, dismantling white supremacy and mm. um, decolonization and, you know, larger conversations. And we're beginning to see that like this faith that perhaps we were given as like our first container for God. Um, well, it served maybe in some, some ways that mm. in a lot of ways, many of us are feeling like we do not belong in our faith tradition anymore. Yeah. And there's a sense of feeling alone or unsure um, and wanting to kind of, like you, we were saying earlier, just kind of lean into some of that. And I think that what we were wanting for these two days was to, you know, fully be able to do that work in community, hmm. right? That it's yeah. the sense of you're not as alone as you think you are. Yeah. And there, that we're all here. We need to be reminded about what matters, but also who's alongside of us, hmm. you know, to feel connected, um, you know, have good conversations. Um, and really, I think at the core of it, what we're looking for right now is some hope. Hmm. Right. And so in a lot of ways, it would have been easy maybe to just kind of be like, all right, we're canceling this year. It's not going to happen. We ended up kind of feeling like, actually, we need to gather maybe not in spite of what's happening in the world right now, but because of it. Yeah. All the more we have to make this work. (laughs) Right. We really do. Right. And so there's this sense of, um, you know, when Jeff and I talk about it, we often kind of like picture like a feast in the wilderness. Mm. Of like everybody's coming from different places, but yeah. there's a sense of hospitality and gathering, even though we know after these two days, we're all going to go back out to where we are yeah. or where we need to be or the work that we do. But we have this little respite and oasis yeah. in the wilderness together. And so, yeah. you know, we've got people like Barbara Brown Taylor, um, Amy Jill Levine and Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes and, mm-hmm. you know, Jen Hatmaker and Kate Bowler and... I mean, Monica Coleman, Nadia Boltz-Weber, Sherilyn Eiffel, propaganda, I mean, just incredible leaders to be able to come in. It does feel sometimes like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) Like like most conferences can be. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) But one thing we actually did this year is we said, you know, if you uh, buy a ticket uh, to Evolving Faith, you actually have access to all the sessions until April. That's because nice. there's no way that you can process yeah. everything that's going to be coming. And then we that's were good. looking for ways to kind of have, you know, connection points and conversations. So it doesn't just feel like you're just watching a Zoom meeting for two days, but you're mm. actually like finding each other and connecting and, you know, in groups and in Zoom calls and breakouts and social media and all the different ways that we're kind of able to do that. So that's, wow. that's kind of what the plan is anyway. Well, I will put the link <laughs> to that. Wood. Yeah, right. Knock on wood. Who knows what could happen? It's 2020, right? right? <laughs> the internet might go down. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh man. Well, I'll put the link to that in the show notes uh, for listeners. And if you're able to join, uh, go join them. Like Sarah said, you have access to all the videos until April. So that's, that's huge. But Sarah, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit today about, about prayer. Um, because from one person who's evolving in their faith to another, 
uh, because for me, I find prayer like really difficult these days. Um, like my thoughts about God are, are changing what feels like daily. And as my thoughts about God change, sometimes I feel like I get stuck in how to talk to a God that I seem to be forever questioning, if that makes sense. Like I was raised in a tradition of healing prayer, um, casting out demons, and I was taught to have faith, to pray the scriptures, to pray without ceasing, to expect miracles. Like I took classes in seminary, uh, like divine healing, power encounters. So that's like a huge part of my past. And I feel like some of those things that I was raised with are still helpful. And I know some of our listeners were raised with that too, but a lot of them don't feel as helpful to me anymore within the context of how I think about God today. And so when I sit down to pray, I very often feel stuck. So I'm wondering uh, from your own story, like as you've evolved in your faith and you're obviously further down the journey than, than I am, but did you ever feel stuck in your prayer life? And if so, like, what did you do to get unstuck? What'd that look like for you? Mm. You know, you and I have must, we have a lot of overlap, I think. I read your last book and I know you touched on that. So yeah, <laughs> I exactly. figured we would connect there. Yeah. yeah, It's a very particular sort of baggage we carry. <laughs> yes, it is. Special baggage. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think sometimes maybe that goes back even to some of our conversation that we um, just had around evolving faith of like, mm. I think that sometimes the the mistake we make is that we think of evolution or deconstruction or even this path of spiritual formation that we're on is something that's linear, hmm. right? Of like moving from one thing to the next, you know, in some sort of like strict progression. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah right. And in a lot of ways, I <laughs> yeah. think what I found in this journey is that that's not actually how it is. Hmm. And that there's actually a lot of, um, you know, movement and uh, circling back around things. I think that's one of the things that has most surprised me um, on this journey of evolving faith is how often eventually I circle back to things that I had discarded or set aside mm. and find that God actually has something still there for me. Um, and so I think that even sometimes that permission of saying, if this doesn't work right now, that's okay. And if the ways that you used to connect with God have disappeared, that doesn't mean you don't get to connect with God anymore. Mm. It just means that maybe there's a different path for you right now. And I think that prayer for me has been one of those ones of losing and reclaiming and reimagining and um, expanding. I think a lot of times when we come to that place of saying, well, this, this particular way of praying or encountering God, um, it, I, you know, it has baggage. Sometimes it even has trauma yeah, yeah. for a lot of people. Right. And I yeah. think that that informs that conversation. I mean, if you've been in a couple of exorcisms, you probably need to go see a therapist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's very true. <laughs> so, there's just a reality there. <laughs> so, <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, there's this um, moment, of, I think, of thinking that if then I don't get to pray. And I think oftentimes when we're introduced to prayer in one particular way, which again, depends on your culture and your religion and mm. your faith tradition, your family, um, we do lose sometimes these old pathways of prayer. And that can be a really disorienting thing. But yet, um, I think that sometimes that gives you permission then to begin to pray in new ways and to find new pathways of prayer. And so I think that that's maybe part of it, um, is that we need to be given permission uh, and invitation and challenge to acknowledge this 
this thing that served me for a really long time isn't anymore. Mm. And I think I have permission to set it down. Yeah. And I have permission now to turn towards maybe something where God is waiting for me and something new or different. The other thing too, I think, I mean, I'm going on a wee bit, so no. you need to cut me off. Feel free. No, please keep going. You're good. <laughs> but there's this sense, I think that, um, you know, the Bible is way more honest than we are about the Bible. Hmm. And I think that you see that about prayer in particular in scripture, because you can see that you bring your whole self to prayer right? That's where you don't need to pretend that you aren't angry or you aren't cynical or afraid or feeling hopeless or uncomfortable mm. or envious or even just tired, right? Like that's the book of Psalms. <laughs> that's right. just what it is. <laughs> yep. And so scripture has given us like this really fulsome and complete view of prayer. Mm. Um, and I think that we don't talk enough about that. And yeah. so Sometimes maybe, you know, you'll feel an invitation towards liturgy or, you know, guided meditations or, I mean, heavens, uh, imprecatory prayer or, you know, cries for justice, silence. Mm. God, you can pray with your hands, mm. right? You can, it, there's so many ways to embody prayer. Yeah. And I think that just even giving yourself permission to set something down in order to make room for maybe what's waiting or what's next yeah. to try new things, to try new practices, to stay open to learning from people who understand prayer very differently than maybe we were taught to. All those mm. things have been gifts to me. It's really good. I think you say what you said earlier about like our type of, of upbringing carries a specific type of baggage. And I think, you know, I can remember back to being in classes where we would be doing divine healing and we would often break into groups and each group would be, praying for somebody who, whether they were sick or they had some kind of pain or whatever was going on. And I can remember, I always felt like I was in the group where it wasn't working. <laughs> and there was always like, I felt like a specific kind of almost like shame that I often carried out of the classroom into my own personal prayer life. And I feel like that's a specific kind of baggage that has stuck with me that I've only begun to recently realize is still there, that I'll sit down and I'll go to pray and there'll be that nagging thought in the back of my mind that it's not going to work or mm -hmm. that God's not going to listen or there's something going on in my life that's blocking me from God. Because that was always the explanation that I was given, you know, because the healing didn't work is, you know, well, it might just be because God was up to something else, but oftentimes it's because there's something in your life or the life of the group or whatever that's blocking God from working. And so I feel mm -hmm. like that's just a piece of the shame that stuck with me. Right. And I think yeah. that that's a very real thing. I think yeah. it is, especially from our tradition, right? I think that, I don't think you're alone in that. Thank you for sharing yeah. that, right? that and naming, naming that for people. I think mm. that even, you know, naming that, bringing it into the light, yeah. um, recognizing that we're not alone in those feelings, because then it gives us permission to examine why did we think those things about prayer? And whenever would the spirit of God bring a spirit of shame? Right. And to anyone. That's right. right? That's, That's just right. the exact opposite of what I know about the love and the goodness and welcome of God. Yeah. And so, but you can suffer in silence with those things and you yep. can feel them quietly to yourself or feel like it works for everyone else. You know, why is everyone else right. getting what they want to know? Exactly. Them, you know? Right. What's you wrong know? with me? <laughs> exactly. So I think interrogating those things, but doing it in a spirit of gentleness and love and permission mm. and safety. Um, you know, I think it really, really does offer a path for healing for people to just say, oh, well, maybe, maybe that is a thing that I felt. I think too, like going back to our background a wee bit on this, I don't know if you had this or not. I remember always feeling very, um, 
grateful that I didn't come of age in a faith tradition that was like, you know, well, everything, everything is the will of God. Mm. And so what's the point of praying? Because, you know, if you have cancer, God gave you cancer. Right. It's the way it is. Just deal with it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's the way it is. So just deal with it. And I liked the agency of being invited to pray for things. But then, like you said, there's this shadow side of that, which is if it's not God, if God's heart for you is healing and God's heart for you is wholeness and God's heart Mm. for you is goodness and love and flourishing, then the breakdown in this equation must be me. Right. And so I think even that's a particular sort of shame that needs naming, um, you know, and needs, needs exploration, maybe even a little bit for people who come from our background of saying, why do, that's not true either. I think you bring up an important point is that, you know, it's, we have our particular baggage from our faith tradition. Everybody, whatever faith tradition they're in has their own baggage, but it's important to realize too, that it's not all bad. And I think that sometimes we, we get to this point of deconstruction and it's like, we'll just burn it all down to the ground. When in reality, like there's, things that you can take away that you can carry forth with you. Like I would agree that that's that feeling of hope, that hope is never lost. There's always that opportunity that something is going to happen is a very, I think, important part that I've tried to bring forward with me. And I'm trying to figure out now with how I understand and think about God, like how does that fit? But I feel like that's mm-hmm. something that's always going to be a special part of, of my faith that I hope to hand down to my daughter as well. I think so. I think that sometimes oftentimes when we find ourselves in these spaces of wilderness, whether it is about prayer or it's about, you know, how we read the Bible or Mm. how we engage with the world or whatever else it is, right. There's a, there's a million ways where we are all (laughs) having to (laughs) untangle the thicket that kind of can enclose us. But I think there is this sense of, um, of invitation to recognize that there's more beyond that, um, burn it down or, or double down. Right. right. Cause sure. sometimes we, those are the two options we have that we either like, well, I stuff all my questions in the closet and everything's fine. We're all fine. Every, I'm going to pray harder, more Bible studies, more time. Exactly. Everything is fine. You know, and then there's those of us who are like, actually, no, let's just burn it all down. Right. And nothing I, is fine. <laughs> right, nothing is fine. Nothing's salvageable. Everything's broken. And so I think it does take a lot of patience mm. and nuance and hopefulness mm. to revisit things and say, what, what is still here for me? Um, mm. What are the things that I can let go of? And, and what are the things even that I can bless even as I recognize I no longer need them or they're mm. no longer serving me or they're no longer serving the world well? Um, what does it look like to what's how, I don't know how I would put that, but can you bless the box you once needed for God, even as you leave it behind? Now you said that you, you sometimes there's different ways to pray. So like you might want to pray liturgically or contemplatively and quietly or in silence. What does it look like for you? Like on a, take us into a, a daily routine of Sarah Bessie. Like what does it look like for your, prayer life? Do you have like a particular way you might pray for an extended period of time? Does it fluctuate daily? Is it moment by moment? Are there sometimes where you just sit silently, but then maybe later on that day you're praying in a different way or what does it look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. It does. I mean, it is just, just a smorgasbord of all the things. <laughs> it's like a buffet. <laughs> it is. I remember hearing a pastor of mine once say that like, um, if you can, the part of the same part of you that worries is the part of you that prays. Mm. And I don't know if that's true or not, but mm. there, I remember getting this really deep sense of like permission in that of like, well, I can worry constantly. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> maybe that same access point is like is in terms of prayer constantly. So oftentimes I feel I feel very near to the Holy Spirit a lot mm. of times during the day, and that feels like prayer. Mm. Um, I think that there are definitely times when I have like you know moments. I keep you know lists of people I like to pray for or things that kind of come across my desk, and I just like to set aside certain times. But I also love liturgical prayers and written prayers. Um, I love praying with people. Mm. I often pray when I'm walking, um, and oftentimes that feels more just like walking with Jesus. Because that doesn't sound like too much for some people. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes naming these things that are very dear to your heart feels feels a bit odd. But maybe, you know, I remember my son, I think I told this story actually in Miracles and Other Reasonable Things because I, I talked a bit about prayer in that book. But my son, when he was quite small, was asked to draw a picture of what prayer is mm. as part of like a, a Sunday school lesson. You know, most of the kids in the class had kind of, you know, drawn a picture of their parents praying with them at bedtime or, you know, at the dinner table or, you know, the pastor at church praying at the front or whatever else. Mm. And his teacher called me in. And, I mean, that can go one of two ways when you're a parent. You right. <laughs> so what, what's it going to happen yeah, now? Exactly. <laughs> I've got four kids. It can go a lot of different ways. Right. <laughs> but in this You're instance, praying on your way to the, to yeah, the school. Exactly. <laughs> this is me interceding now. Like, <laughs> But there was this moment where she called me and she said, I just wanted to show you what Joe drew. And mm. by the way, he has given me permission to share this story and he's, he's fully aware of all of this now. He's, he's older now, but um, she showed me this picture and he had drawn this picture of himself, you know, sitting on our back deck of our house and sitting beside him was uh, Jesus, you know, mm. drawn like almost every children's book, Jesus in the world, you know, a white robe and the blue yeah, sash and that sure. whatever. I was just happy it wasn't like a white Jesus. It was right. <laughs> some creativity there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yay for historical accuracy. And so, you know, he's sitting on the back deck, him and Jesus beside each other, and they were holding hands, and it had like those little cartoon bubbles, you know, like when cartoon people talk to each other. Mm. And in the bubbles, Joe had written, um, I love you, Jesus. And mm. Jesus would say back, I love you, Joe. Mm. And he'd say, I love you, Jesus. And he'd say, I love you, Joe. And then at the bottom, he'd written, this is Joe and my Jesus. This is how we pray. Mm. And I mean, there's no wow. end to the ways that my kids have taught me about the love and goodness of God. Yeah. But that one has really stuck with me in terms of how I pray, especially in those moments where I feel like I don't have words mm. or I, all I have is longing or all I have is hopefulness. Mm. Just to, I almost, I sometimes like, I'll, I'll even do that. I'll just pull up a chair beside me and just be like, okay, we're just going to sit in this. Mm. And just let that love be the thing that is, that is the point of this. Yeah. You know, it's not about controlling outcomes. It's not about demanding things. Mm. It's simply about being in the presence of God and having an awareness that it was here all along. Yeah. It's so funny that you said like, what, what children can teach us about God and about prayer. Because as you were telling that story, I'm thinking of my daughter, she's three and she's just starting to kind of grasp different ideas about God and stuff. And we try to keep it obviously super simple for her and just tell her that, you know, Jesus is always with her and things like that. And, and the other day I was, something was going on and I was not in a great mood. And she asked, you know, daddy, are you okay? And I said, I said, that is just having a hard day. And she said, Jesus is always with you. It just reminded me that like, even though I didn't know how to pray in that moment because I was feeling frustrated and having all these different things that I was just telling you about, about, about prayer and what I'm wrestling with. And there's my daughter telling me, Jesus is with you. And like you said, it's, that's the simplicity of it. It's just you and God, Jesus, the divine, the spirit, whatever you want to call it. And it's the relationship. It's that you're never alone. There's always a connection 
And that oftentimes is the prayer itself. Right. I think yeah. you're right. That's a really beautiful way to put it. And I yeah. think that your daughter had that awareness is, is really lovely. I think that half the time that's part of what we're unpacking. It's like we've been told that prayer is, you know, one particular thing. And then, you know, my background, it was very much like a vending machine sort of way, right? Here's the formula. Got to hit the right prayer. buttons, put the right change in there. It's a dollar twenty-five, not a dollar. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Here's your acronyms for prayer. And here's your thing. Oh, goodness. Starting to shake. <laughs> right? It's like, oh my gosh, talk about collective trauma. But, but I think that even there, there's this sense of like, um, maybe becoming aware of the conversation that's already going on. Yeah is what prayer is, right? And that can take a lot of different forms for a lot of us in a lot of different ways. Um, And I think that that's really, really beautiful. And I think being open to that little antenna of awareness Mm. um, is maybe goes back to what we were saying earlier about how like that part of you that can pray constantly. It's like your your daily life is a prayer almost. Right. Yeah, you never lose connection. It's always there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, that's part of the awareness, hmm. part of the um, possibilities of hmm. seeing everything um, as a as a point of awareness and connection with everything that is love in the world. Yeah, that's true. Now you mentioned liturgical prayer. Now one of the things I picked up from your tweets and your newsletter, I think you've mentioned it, is that you sometimes pray from the Book of Common Prayer. And uh, when you mentioned that, I remember. I don't remember when. I saw you mention it, but I had actually picked up a copy of it for myself, the one that uh, Shane Claiborne put out a while yeah. back. Oh, that's a and, great um, book. Yeah, and it's definitely very new to me. Like, I had a few interactions with it in college and seminary, but I never tried to use it on a regular basis. So maybe for our listeners and for myself who are new to it and maybe feeling stuck, like, what is the Book of Common Prayer like done for you? Why do you enjoy praying from that? Like, what, is it, what does it look like to pray from that? That is a good question. Um, a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, it is maybe. <laughs> Highly specific. Right. Um, I, I remember when I first encountered um, the Book of Common Prayer. And I mean, my parents are first generation Christians. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, entered the church through that portal of like third wave charismatic stuff. Mm. And it was lovely, but all of us came into it very new. And we, I mean, for, I don't think I learned a hymn until I was in my twenties, hmm. right? Because it was just, I didn't know about the larger story of the church. I didn't yeah. know about the history of the church, the broader story, the context where I even stood, you know, hmm. in terms of my social location and <laughs> the right. church history. Right. Yeah. And so there was a lot of catch up there, um, you know, for me. And so it, I want to say it was maybe in my mid or late twenties and I found that I lost prayer. Mm-hmm. that I could not pray the, in the overcomer victory, you know, coming down with a healing kind of you yeah. know, prayer, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the courses that you mentioned at your yep. seminary, that sort yep. of thing, right? Like I just, I lost all of that. And I lost all of that because of grief um, mm-hmm. and because of sorrow. My husband and I had a number of miscarriages during those years and my hopefulness was gone. I did everything I knew to do. I, I pulled all the levers and put mm. my dollar twenty-five in all the things I knew to do, <laughs> and and it never um, worked. And if mm. anything, it just brought greater sorrow um, yeah. and shame on yeah. me. Yeah. And so, when I lost prayer for a time, I thought that meant that I just didn't get to pray anymore. And instead, what I found was there was one day. Uh, I think we were living in San Antonio at the time, and I remember driving by this little stone church in San Antonio and just feeling this very weird, like 
you need to go in there right now. Mm. Um, and so I just pulled over and I went into the church and it was um, an Ash Wednesday service. Hmm. And of course, I had no idea what Ash Wednesday was. Right. <laughs> I know what that was. We were not liturgical in any way. What is going on in here? Yeah. Yeah, we were more likely to celebrate Mother's Day than Lent, right? So. right. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, you know, just a small handful of people. Hmm. And as they went through the liturgy for Ash Wednesday, I realized that I was crying in the back row because it was the first time in my life that I'd been in church and someone acknowledged sorrow and someone acknowledged longing. And um, that dark space between the light and the night. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went up and I had the imposition of the ashes and I was listening to all these people praying together. And I thought, God, this is so beautiful. When I don't have words, the church has given me words. The saints who came before me have given me words that when I can't pray, I can borrow prayer from other people. I can rest in their prayers. I can rest in their hope, in their longings. And so that was what kind of set me on a journey of wanting to learn more about the liturgical tradition of the church, uh, to lean more into common prayer, the book of common prayer, into um, the daily office. Phyllis Tickle was a really good teacher for me in those early days. She has um, a number of books called The Divine Hours, where she would like you know, I, I began to pray like at multiple set times during the day, but I didn't have to come up with something that I didn't feel or make it up in the spot. <laughs> right. and the church had given me some language for that. And yeah. that even began to really take some pressure off mm. maybe. So it gave me back prayer at a time when I knew I couldn't pray the way that I had been taught anymore. Mm. And it gave me space to begin to reimagine that. Mm. I like that about borrowing someone else's faith almost when you feel weak in your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the greatest things about the church is that, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, you know, a one person show yeah. that you don't have to be an overcomer all the time. <laughs> like you, right. <laughs> you get to take a minute and, you know, and rest in each other and look after one another. There's a real, it's a communal thing. Church yeah. is a communal thing over time and space. It's true. And sometimes um, resting in that and not feeling like you need to solve it all in that moment, but you can simply rest in someone else's hope or faith or mm. prayer. Uh, it's a real gift. Mm. It's true. I think we, you, you talked about grief and that, that was a big thing for me that I think one of the deconstruction, obviously there's like a lot of different um, things that push you down that rabbit hole. You know, it's never just one thing, but for me, like one of the biggest things was uh, my wife and I uh, had a miscarriage and I remember being in the hospital and you can obviously relate to this grief, but like hearing the news from the doctor and I remember going out to the car to get the car to pull it up for my wife. And I remember yelling at God, like, mm-hmm. I, I I did everything right. You know, like I hit all the buttons. Like you said, I put the money in the machine. And how are you not listening? Like, are you not doing your job? Like, what is going on? And that, that grief for me really triggered the deconstruction, but really also pushed me to put prayer on the back burner. Like, I didn't pray for a long time just because I didn't know how to pray to this God who is he not listening? You know, I, I was so frustrated and so angry. I had so many different feelings, but now that I'm playing, you know, Monday morning quarterback these, these years later, and just a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about that story and I felt like God said to me, like, maybe, maybe you're looking at prayer, not in the best way. Like maybe it's not always about what I can do for you, but like we talked about a little while ago, just that I'm always with you. 
And in the hospital room that night, you were full of grief, but I was there with you. And just that very presence in itself was a prayer. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. So tell me a little bit more about um, like deconstruction and your, your evolving of your faith. Like what, what triggered it for you? Cause that's like a lot of, a lot of people ask me like what triggered my deconstruction, what triggered my faith evolution? Like what, what sent you down the rabbit hole? Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, it's probably a lot of different um, moving parts, mm. questions, doubts, you know, wait a minute moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's about, you know, I don't know, you know, one of the things that I feel is is true, I, I don't know that it's being studied or I can prove it by any stretch of the way. It feels true. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true for me, so it's right? true. <laughs> I think a lot of times deconstruction can feel very um, separate mm. almost from us when it's all about like theology. Yeah. Right. Or it's yep. just like, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's, it, and sometimes it's even fun, right? Like mm. it's this sense of like, oh, I'm in the pub with my friends and we're going to talk about whether or not we think eternal conscious punishment is real. Isn't this right. great? You know, right. like, <laughs> happy day. <laughs> exactly. Somebody get me a beer. Like, <laughs> or two. <laughs> exactly. You're going to need it. Yeah. And so there's this sense of um, it almost being like an intellectual exercise yep. or a cataloging. But I think the thing that really does put you over the threshold into the wilderness um is usually grief mm -hmm. i do feel like it's grief i usually um you know that was my experience that's i think a common experience for a lot of us is that something happened and the answers that we had for god and for our life or for what we knew disappeared mm -hmm. they disappeared like steam on a mirror and suddenly whether we wanted to or not we find ourselves crossing this threshold into this liminal space mm -hmm. where and still kind of see who you used to be and who mm. you were before this um, this thing has happened to you or in you. Um, but at the same time, now you're in this vast expanse of like, well, now what? Yeah. And it can be really, really disorienting for people. And of course, you're also at the time grieving, you know, whether it's, you know, like for you and I love uh, losing uh, children through miscarriage before birth, or some people it's losing, you know, someone actually in their life. But other times it's even things like, you know, losing our answers or losing communities, um, yeah, yeah. you know, losing, uh, you know, answers that we had been taught, losing, you know, the, the way of seeing the world. And so I think that oftentimes there is a lot of loss at that first cross over the threshold. And it's very lonely mm. between that, that gate and your first table that you find with a bunch of misfits and weirdos and good people, hey. you know, just like yourself who are like, wait a minute, I'm not alone out here. There's a lot of people who've been doing this work and there's, they're reimagining ways to have faithfulness and, and to honor that story yeah. and acknowledge it and name it and be tender with it. Hmm. Uh, even while we begin to continue to, to kind of walk together for a time. Hmm. Yeah. It's really good. Oftentimes it's grief. Like you said, it's loss. It's something that, like that, that triggers it. But I think, I think like you said earlier too, it's not, we don't have to look at it as a, as a loss of faith, but an invitation into a deeper faith. I think mm -hmm. that's something that that's really important. That's easy to lose, lose perspective on that, especially when people from your old world or your own tribe might be telling you that while well, you're losing your faith, um, you know, to kind of keep those voices at bay if possible, to remember that there's something deeper going on. 
Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had um, Pete Enns on the Evolving Faith podcast. Hmm. And he kind of quipped, you know, if you've you mentioned <laughs> you'd, read, you'd read Pete's yep. uh, book, and he's got just this wonderful, snarky sense of humor. No, not Pete. He's not snarky <laughs> at all. <laughs> he's my favorite biblical curmudgeon. Yes. <laughs> and he had this, you know, he, and in the, the podcast episode, he was like, an evolving faith is faith. Like, and, if, and if you want a proof text for that, here it is. It's the whole Bible. Like, that's right. like, that's right. what it is. <laughs> and so I think that sometimes we've kind of been sold this bill of goods that's like, you'll stay in the same spot forever. Yeah. And somehow that makes you holy. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the, the point is getting from one end of your life to the other end of your life without ever asking a question. Yeah. And if your faith looks the exact same, I think it means that you weren't paying attention. Yeah right? There's a lot of invitations to pay attention, to lean in, to evolve and change and grow. Mm. Um, you know, Rachel used to say that an evolving faith isn't one that is like more evolved or superior, but it's one that has adapted to survive. Mm. And mm. I think that even that is, you know, when other people are gathered around that gate that you walked through and they're throwing stones or panicking, you know, <laughs> <at> the path <laughs> that you're walking on, um, you know, it can feel disorienting and scary and lonely, mm. um, but it's because you're adapting and mm. your faith is surviving and you're following, you're being deeply Christian and deeply biblical at that point to be leaning into those. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I remember reading one of Pete's books, maybe it was the Bible tells me so, or one of those books, but he, um, he talks about how, you know, the, the faith of, of the writers is constantly evolving all throughout the Bible. Like God's people way back in the old Testament, you know, thought that God told them to commit genocide, you know, and then they're wrestling with, you know, well, God is a God of love and God is a God of justice. But then we see them constantly going back and forth all throughout the Old Testament till you have the culmination in Jesus. And even then, you know, they're still doing things and getting it somewhat, somewhat wrong. So I think if we look at the Bible that way, as opposed to it's this, this very strict uh, code of beliefs, and this is the way that God acts, and this is the way that God is, and all those things, if we look, look at it as, as a development of people's relationship with God, I think we can find ourselves in the midst of that story. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely mm. we can. That's a good word. So uh, before we go, we're nearing the end of our time, but what would you say like to the listener who's listening and they're thinking, they find themselves out in the wilderness, uh, they have lots of questions, they have lots of doubts, uh, they don't know how to pray, all the different things. What would be your word for them to encourage them to step forward? Mm. That is a good question. I mean, when I look back on my own journey and I think, what is the thing that I wished I would have heard, mm. you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago? What <laughs> 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 are the things that you, and, and I think in a lot of ways, even that's probably what Evolving Faith grew out of was Rachel mm. and I kind of saying like, what do we wish we would have had? Who <laughs> <Right>. are <laughs> the people we wish we would have had on our side, that sort of thing. <laughs> And if I look back on it now, I think probably the biggest thing that I would have needed to hear just to kind of tuck into my heart and carry forward with me no matter where I went is that it's okay. You don't need to be afraid. Mm. You are not beyond God's love and you are held always and fully and completely in the love of God. Mm. There is nowhere you can go that you are outrunning the love of God. Mm. And as long as you are on that path and even when you're not, <laughs> God's love is patient and kind towards you. Yeah. And I mm. think that if I had heard that and remembered that or known that, 
it would have meant a lot less fear, a lot less fundamentalism, a lot, right. less, <laughs> certain, a lot less, you know, urgent need to get things right. Yeah. And it would have meant a more expansive beginning hmm. to not be afraid and to know how deeply I'm loved, how deeply yeah. we all are loved. That's really good. We often forget that very simple truth that we can't go anywhere that can escape God's love. And sometimes we, I mean, I think Paul said that in Romans and we often forget that, especially in the midst of maybe people telling us that we are beyond God's love or we are lost or we are going astray or whatever, but that's a, that's a good word for people. Thank you. So where can people find you online? If they want to go um, connect with you. Yeah, well, um, almost everything. Just if you head over to sarahbessie.com, you'll find links to all my social media stuff. I have a newsletter that I write called Field Notes. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's at one of the last sane corners of the internet. It feels like sometimes. <laughs> right. it's, like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I've been there. It's true. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, you know, evolvingfaith.com. If people are wanting to check out the podcast or register for the conference, we would love to have your community be a part of that and uh, look forward to welcoming them on October 2nd and 3rd. Awesome. I'll put all the links to that in the show notes. And Sarah, thank you again for making time for me. Oh, I'm grateful for the invitation. Thank you, Glenn. Oh, you're welcome. You have a good day. All right, you too. Take care. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Free. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Look, sometimes it doesn't hurt to be selfish. No, I got a big heart, I like to be helpful. Some people take it for granted, it goes for all levels. No, I might sound crazy, it can be dreadful. Got a clip, you think you got the keys. On the voyage, always searching, I feel at the knees. Nothing but to go above and I can go beneath. I've been through the highs and lows of things you can't believe. So many folk are independent, you know that's a given. Cause they've been hurt so many times, that's a part of living. God reminds us on the daily, it's already written. Can't believe she ate the fruit and we know that's forbidden. That's forbidden. It's been a minute since I felt so amazing. Lost starting in the space where stars are gazing. Maybe I see heaven while the sun all blazing. Instead, I'm going hit the dreams and I'm still chasing. Yeah. Father, please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and guide me, Lord. A real one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation from the maker of man. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Free. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Yeah. When I die, you're the first I'm trying to see. Never got to say goodbye, cause I'm still in disbelief. Only seen you in my dreams, always blocked by all the beams. Maybe it's a sign I can take it to extreme, yeah. My decisions were the base of what we talked about. Always poured to me, make sure I never had a doubt. You weren't the perfect person, but nobody is. You always dreamed to have a house of wife, some little kids. You were the king of in the making. Always about your paper, never sure there wasn't breaking. Forever I'm inspired. Your hustle ambition, so I'm in mine. In the same place, close to my heart, your desire. 
end of the day, I just want to see your face. You to tell me that you're proud of me, I always find a way. I know that you're around me when the wind starts to sway. A car new in the trees, I just need you here to stay, yeah. Father, please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. A real one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs, know that he got my back and the choice but to proceed, only thing that I ask is that you do set me free, free, falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs, know that he got my back and the choice but to proceed, only thing that I ask is that you do set me free, 